Hi there. I'm Dr. Sarah Wilson, naturopathic doctor, author, practice mentor, researcher, and passionate connector of the dots of health. As the medical director of Advanced Women's Health and the founder of Naturopathic Clinical Mentorship, I help patients and practitioners to deeply understand the connection between hormones and inflammation so that they can improve their most complex health concerns or cases. Advanced Women's Health, the podcast, is a space for practitioners and discerning health consumers to learn about cutting-edge research in the area of women's health. Before we get started, though, let's set the ground rules. This information is not meant to diagnose or treat. I am a doctor, but not your doctor. I completely understand that you're going to want to implement some of these strategies. We are talking about really compelling stuff, but please always do so with a medical practitioner's support. So let's dive in. Hello, everyone. We are back. I am so excited to be recording this podcast today, not only because, as you know, I love sharing some research with you guys, but also because it's been a bit of a break. And I can't say that it was a completely unintentional break because I really had to step back and look at a lot of things in life and prioritize things. And we're going to talk about that that today, in addition to, of course, the new research that's come out. And we're going to fall back into a cadence of giving you guys that information. But to be completely honest, the fall was a really busy period of time and business was booming and there was a lot that I needed to do to put systems in place so that we could one, sustainably grow and also take care of our patients so that they weren't waiting months and months to get some kind of care. And two, I needed to do things to hire and create structure in my day and have the people and the team around me so that I didn't burn out because practicing what you preach is so important in this process. Um, But also so that I could figure out what the next evolution of business looked like. There were so many requests from people. There were so many requests from patients, actually, and practitioners alike for different types of content and different pieces of support that they wish they had in their practice. And so we really took all that information, grew my team, and now we're in a place where we're going to be able to put out more of that content. And also, like I said, just have a really sustainable feel to how all of this goes. Because for me, many of you guys know, I got into naturopathic medicine because of my own health issues. I am the naturopath who I needed back then. But that also means that I've had mono three times and that I have had pelvic inflammatory issues that may or may not be endo, of course, because you never really know until you're formally diagnosed. But this spring in our household was a really challenging time um, for a lot of reasons, to be completely honest. Um, But it really caused my nervous system to go into overdrive. And so I've had to do a lot of boundary work and a lot of mindset work to get myself into a position again, where I am able to work through the day calm and to feel my nervous system relax and also be really, really productive as we go. Um, So 
this is life and business together, right? You can't really separate the two of them. And so it's a super exciting time to be back behind this microphone and recording and getting information to you guys that I know you so desperately need. And speaking of which, I will talk about this in a separate podcast episode, but this whole redesign and hire piece has also brought about an exciting evolution to naturopathic mentorship. So if you are a practitioner and you're struggling to stay up to date with research, you're struggling to understand how to troubleshoot conditions because so many CE programs tell you what to do, but then they don't tell you what to do when it doesn't work. If you want to better understand blood work, if you want more practice resources, then we have a new platform for you. It is called the Women's Health Insider, and it is my very special monthly mentorship program where we all come together in community and learn about all those things I just talked about. And it's a way for you to stay on top of everything without absolutely drowning. So yet again, something that I was asked a lot, actually, I've had a few people try to retake my flagship program, Advanced Women's Therapeutics, because they're like, I just want the updated research. Like I still want you in my life. Um, And so we obviously needed to give them a new way to do that. And it was also something that I just so desperately would love for myself to be able to sit down once a month and very quickly get fed the new information that's going to change my practice. So if you are interested in learning more about that, you can go to naturopathicmentorship.com slash WHI, Women's Health Insider. Um, And of course, everything's in the show notes. I won't talk too much about that, but it's a super cost-effective way to stay up to date in the literature in your practice. And now for today's episode. So the reason why I wanted to talk about today's um, article, which is titled Endoplasmic Reticulum Stress, a Key Regulator of the Follicular Microenvironment in the Ovary. So the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because we've talked around endoplasmic reticulum stress a lot here. Um, it's something I've mentioned in other articles. It's something I mentioned offhand. And even in my courses, I found that I will kind of half mention it, knowing that I know the integral, the, <laughs> integral, And the huge role that it has to play in health, but at the same time, also knowing that that's not information that's really widely accessible. So let's break it down. The endoplasmic reticulum is an organelle, right? Like way back to high school biology. Um, It is an organelle that functions to produce proteins in the body. Um, So it's essentially helping the rest of the cell function in some cells. Other cells, it's going to have different functions. So liver cells, um, we're going to see more detoxification uh, processes, metabolic byproduct processes being detoxified. Um, And then in reproductive organs, the endoplasmic reticulum is actually very involved in um, steroid hormone synthesis. So testosterone and estrogen. And so in that sense, I know we've talked about on here that the mitochondria is very, very involved. And so the mitochondria and the endoplasmic reticulum actually kind of, they just send things back and forth. They shuttle back and forth. And so just like you can have mitochondrial issues, oxidative stress processes happening in the mitochondria, all of those things, we can also start to see endoplasmic reticulum stress. And it does have such a significant impact on ovarian health, let alone everything else in your body. And so what happens is because the endoplasmic reticulum is involved in protein synthesis, if you think again, way back, we have to like fold and refold and misfold and all these things are proteins in order to get the perfect ones. And so if you get an accumulation of unfolded proteins or misfolded, 
unfolded proteins, then that is where we're going to see this endoplasmic reticulum stress. And so it has been, so both the unfolded protein response and endoplasmic reticulum stress have been associated with a variety of different diseases. So neurodegeneration, cancer, inflammatory conditions, fibrosis, diabetes, and then now we're really coming to deeply understand it in a new way with respect to the ovary. And so with and ER, I'm just going to call it ER stress from now on. It's so much easier. Um, but ER stress is going to be really highly affected by oxidative stress, which is something that we talk about a lot, right? So oxidative stress, cellular rusting, our body's sensitive from so many different angles to that. Um, and endoplasmic reticulum stress is one of them. And again, working so closely with the mitochondria, we're not surprised when the mitochondria um, is producing more free radicals and oxidants than it is antioxidants in the body to keep up, we're going to see those damage processes occur. And that does really go hand in hand. We also know that inflammation in general has an impact on the endoplasmic reticulum stress, um, a high secretory demand, which is really interesting. So in conditions, for example, like polycystic ovarian syndrome, so PCOS, there is a very, very high androgen demand. And so PCOS is actually being highly investigated for the role of ER stress in that because there is such a huge stress on the amount of hormones that are meant to be pushed out. Loss of calcium homeostasis is very involved in this. Um, so too is altered glucose and lipid homeostasis. So we'll come to talk about this in a minute, but um, there are a variety of glucose and uh, fat or lipid imbalances that can have a really significant impact. And then pathogens. So we are going back to these foundational systems, right? So what's going to affect the human body? I teach this in all of my courses. I'm like, you need to understand the foundational mechanisms of health because there are multiple different approaches to this evidence-informed medicine. One of them is that you understand the actual evidence of pathophysiology. You understand how it works. You understand how, for example, ER stress works in PCOS. You understand how it's all related together. And then you can see opportunities, both evidence-informed opportunities um, and other opportunities to intersect that. The other side of evidence-informed medicine is that you say, okay, if there's a research trial for this supplement, then I'm going to use it. And if there's not, I'm not. I completely appreciate both ways. It's just for me, my brain works with pattern recognition. And so if there are multiple patterns telling me the same thing, like there are in these foundations of health, it's so much easier to get someone better than if you are relying specifically on like, okay, I have to know the evidence for every single little compound that I can use in PCOS because we're talking about it, right? So in that situation, understanding these pieces is why I constantly go back to them. I constantly go back to oxidative stress, insulin signaling, glucose homeostasis, the impact of pathogens in the body. Like these are the things we will go through over and over again, which is also why I say my practice and my research focuses on where hormones and inflammation interact because that is the golden ticket to figuring all these things out. So when we are looking at essentially enemy, um, ER stress, what we are trying to look at is the way, the different ways it has been caused. So we know, for example, that 
anti-cancer agents, right? So certain cancer medications are going to cause a lot of ER stress, which is then going to have toxicity on the gonads, right? Or the ovaries. So there's that involvement. We also know that endocrine, endocrine disruptors, specifically is really well documented that cadmium does this, um, but endocrine disruptors, there's a variety of different types can have a significant impact on ER stress in the ovary and actually can cause death of granulosa cells and theca cells. Um, and then you're going to see a loss of those healthy follicles. We also have things, for example, like cryopreservation. That's why we have to have so many eggs in order to see healthy embryos on the other side of them if you're freezing them, because there's such a high cryo damage and attrition rate that this can be difficult. So that's kind of the outside sources. But then other situations that we look at in the body is that a high level of free fatty acids is highly involved with endoplasmic reticulum stress. So we talk about free fatty acids in the context of insulin signaling, in the context of diabetes, all of these different kind of roles in the body. But there are a variety of different ways in which free fatty acids can be elevated. But in any situation, they can induce that endoplasmic reticulum stress. And that can actually change the production of progesterone and estrogen um, in the ovaries. And it can have an impact on how granulosa cells are going to produce um, estrogen, which is fascinating. And it's also going to have developmental consequences in how embryos can grow because you can see more follicular rest. As we talked about, um, not only just having to produce a lot of androgens cause ER stress, but just having a lot of androgens around can cause ER stress as well. Um, and so we're going to see more inflammatory production from that. We're going to see more follicular arrest. And then with the androgen production piece, we're going to see a lot of AGEs. So advanced glycosylation end products. I remembered that one. Uh, but we're going to see a lot of those things as well, which is essentially involved in aging um, and can be very involved in um, kind of early aging or just even the natural aging process, to be completely honest, of the ovaries. Then we're going to see something like an endometrioma um, and oxidative stress from endometriomas on top of your ovary going to cause issues with loss of healthy follicles. And that's something that we see, which is oftentimes why we're discussing with patients the pros and cons of surgery when endometriomas are involved um, in endometriosis. And to be honest, we should be doing it in general, educating them about where that line is in terms of when surgery is really the best option. Uh, but that's a whole nother subject here. So when we're getting into kind of why some of these happen, I think the endocrine disruption piece makes a lot of sense to us, right? It's something that we talk about over and over again, the hyperandrogens we talked about. But when we're talking about the fatty acids, that's something that is oftentimes surprising to clinicians when we're going through the fact that fatty acids do have a really significant impact on the body in a potentially negative way. And that's when we start talking about lipid peroxides and lipotoxicity, which is essentially where peroxides, right? Like these are similar things to those reactive oxygen species in terms of the damage they're causing. And when we see lipids accumulate in tissue, we see more of these things and we're going to see more damage, whether that's the mitochondria, whether that is the endoplasmic reticulum, There, we see it in all different tissues of the body. And it can be a really 
really difficult cycle to help a patient break out of, which is why I talk about so many of these things. Um, because if you don't understand that a patient is stuck in a cycle, um, then it's really hard to help them out of it. Because say, for example, free fatty acids have a really big impact on receptor function. And so with receptor function, if that's altered and those receptors are insensitive, and then you have more insulin, and then you also have more issues with these free fatty acids circulating, um, for example, as one of those reasons, then we're going to have issues. If you have necrosis of the fat tissue as well, then that's another situation where free fatty acids can be circulating. And that is, again, a pattern that people can very, very much get stuck in. It's very hard to get more blood flow to your fat tissue without losing some fat tissue oftentimes. And so in that situation, if you're more insulin resistant, it's going to be even harder to do that. And so breaking out of these fundamental stuck cycles is absolutely foundational to your patient's success. And so when we're looking Again, kind of breaking down the roles of endoplasmic reticulum stress, we do know that it's actually important. Um, So endoplasmic reticulum stress is involved in normal maturation of follicles. It's involved in normal like ovary hormone development. And so from that standpoint, it's it's a bit, it's like exercise, right? You want enough of it. You don't want too much of it. And it's really important to find that middle ground. And so with that, understanding where your patient falls within that cycle is really helpful, but it can also be difficult. And so if you are seeing patterns of hormonal dysfunction, if you're seeing patterns of inflammation, if you're seeing patterns of insulin signaling, if you're seeing free high free fatty acids, those are indications that, okay, maybe you need to think along this lines. But also if you have a patient with PCOS, um, it's actually, and I mean, so ER stress has been associated with OHSS as well. So if you have a patient who has a documented history of that, that may be something to think about. If you have a patient with endometriomas, in addition to a variety of other conditions, but that's when you have to decide and you have to use that clinical judgment to figure out if this is a situation where your patients have crossed that line and it's no longer a healthy support system. And then we need to figure out how to get them out of it. And so there are a variety of different compounds and there actually is more research now going into developing pharmaceutical agents. So I think we are going to see more research on endoplasmic reticulum stress. It's it's shot up in the last year in general anyways. Um, but in that situation, there's a lot that we can do to improve outcomes for our patients. Um, there's herbs, there's nutrients, all of these things we kind of dive into in a lot of detail in a variety of different places. But from that standpoint, it is just important foundationally to even know that this exists and know that you need to unpack it. Because if you are just supporting patients from the angle, even just from diet and lifestyle, right? Like there's so many positives to the diet and lifestyle piece. But if you have a patient who's stuck in those patterns, which is a lot of my patients and so many more of my patients lately, I think than ever have been, um, where they're just, they're stuck. Like they're making the dietary changes and things aren't moving. We see blood work improve in some ways, but not in the ways that they necessarily expected. Um, And so this is where I get into the nitty gritties. And this is how you move things is by lowering those free fatty acids. It's by supporting mitochondrial function. It's by supporting oxidative stress. And again, 
these deeper pieces of the puzzle. And that's really what flips the switch for people. And it's like, oh, okay, now we're rolling. And now all of the efforts of their diet, lifestyle, et cetera, can really kick in, which is what I love seeing more than anything else in my practice is that piece of like, oh, yeah, okay, now I feel really good. Now we can move forward. So research on endoplasmic reticulum stress, I've alluded to it a variety of times, um, but what we have seen in human studies is that in insulin-resistant people, so oftentimes they put that in the category of obesity, but those things are not synonymous. So I tend to go more with the insulin piece. Um, We have actually seen a decreased progesterone in response to HCG. So that's just a very interesting piece to me in terms of the involvement in conditions like miscarriage um, and how that could be involved in that process, which is also why if you have a patient you're thinking about this, you should be testing and supporting your progesterone in that first trimester if they need it. Um, then we look at PCOS and it's it's very interesting. So fibrosis of the ovary is increased when there is ER stress. Um, We can also see increased testosterone-induced apoptosis of granulosa cells and follicular atresia. Um, We can also see increased AGEs. So those are um, those glycosylated end products. So those things all are accumulating more in the face of PCOS with ER stress. Um, Then Like I said, we can also see changes with OHSS. We do believe that there's a lot of things going on, but one of them is that VEGF production changes and vascular permeability changes. And so we can see that with ER stress. And then again, as we talked about with endometriosis, there's going to be an increased oxidative stress-induced apoptosis. So all of these things kind of moving together on a patient's outcomes. And this is also where I always find it very interesting when people are looking for the underlying cause of a lot of these women's health conditions. Because if you look, endometriosis, 10% of women, PCOS, 5 to 10% of women, thyroid conditions, getting up there, right? Like these things are all growing in terms of their diagnosis, they're growing in terms of how much they're affecting our patients. But then if we look, they all have similar underlying mechanisms. They're not that much different. The immune system and the hormones may be interacting in different ways, but they're driving down the same pathways. And so we need to, of course, understand immunology. We need to understand, okay, is this an innate process? Is this a Th1, Th2 process? Is this the gut microbiome that's driving this? What is the biggest factor here? What do we need to unpack? Do we need to unpack the gut microbiome first? Do we need to unpack mitochondrial function first? Like where do we need to intersect? That's the role of the clinician brain. Um, And that's, I think, the piece that we as functional medicine practitioners, naturopathic doctors, et cetera, are just, we shine at because we have the time to sit down with patients and investigate these things. We have the time and in my mind obligation to take the knowledge from the medical literature and implement it into our practices in these really, really powerful ways like we're talking about here. And so when you understand and when you're in the research enough, it's just you see the same patterns over and over and over again. And then you know where you can intersect in those pathways to affect change. 
And that's what I always say to patients, especially patients who've seen three, four, five other naturopathic doctors, other functional medicine practitioners, specialists. They come into me with stacks of blood work, all these different protocols, and they're like, okay, what do we do? From my standpoint, we really have to clear the muddy water at that point. We have to say, okay, you know what? Let's intersect on a couple foundational mechanisms that haven't been touched, which in my experience, to be honest, is oftentimes those things. It's oftentimes looking at innate immunity. It's oftentimes looking at endoplasmic reticulum stress. It's looking at mitochondrial stress. It's looking at oftentimes the gut microbiome too, because there's such a hesitation to kill things in the gut microbiome. And like we have decades of pathology in our gastrointestinal tracts. Things got to die. We are more impacted than we have ever been. I see so much of that in my practice. Um, And so there's just, we're in a soup right now. We're in a chemical soup. We're in a microbial soup. We are stuck in loops and patterns. And so really clearing those muddy waters, like I said, getting some of those foundational pieces in play is going to let you to then customize everything for your patient. We're in the process now of even kind of developing some of those systems so that we can be like, okay, when I see a patient, everything is they've cleared what they can. They've done what they can so that I can get in there and do the bigger work of fine tuning, because that is also one of the trickiest parts of our jobs, right? Is seeing, okay, what is affecting that patient? What do we need to clear in the first couple of months so that we can actually get into the quote unquote root cause or deeper work to undo this pattern and make it stick for good. And yes, we have to talk about mindset and the mental emotional pieces and all of that kind of stuff that goes into it to keep a patient compliant and on track. But I think a big piece of it too, is that if patients are seeing success in the first two weeks, it makes it a lot easier for them to want to do the work and to want to do the mindset pieces that is going and change their belief structures and systems that's going to allow them to value their health in the long term. So anyways, that was a huge aside. But in summary, really understanding that there are more stress mechanisms in the body than just mental emotional stress and understanding how they all intersect together on hormonal health is foundational in a women's practice. Um, We know now that activated ER stress not only hinders follicular growth and maturation and ovulation, to be completely honest, but it's also going to affect high quality oocytes. It's going to affect potentially the amount of progesterone that is released. It's going to cause fibrosis of the ovary, aging of the ovary. We're going to see PCOS, OHSS, all of these things. And if you have a patient who you already know has endometriosis and they want to conceive or trying to conceive or to be completely honest, just want to unpack pain in their bodies or fatigue because of the immunological changes, then we need to think of these mechanisms. I'm not saying we need to do it first all of the time, because if you have a patient who's insulin resistant, who's not eating for their insulin resistance, whose gut is an absolute mess, who like if they don't, they're stressed out. Oftentimes we have to do that work to get to the point that we have the luxury of cleaning up these last things. We, But we also all have those patients who are stuck and they've done all of the things and that's where you get to that point. So I hope it's helpful. Um, We will talk a lot about this 
in the Women's Health Insider platform as well um, in terms of treatments and things like that. There are some treatments I can bring to the podcast. There are some that require a lot more training behind them, and unfortunately, this is one of them. Um, But I am so excited to be back. I am so excited to be bringing you more of this women's health research, and I'm so excited for us to continually nerd out together and for you to grow in your practice, in your health, in whatever way is applying to you right now. So I cannot wait to talk to you guys in a couple of weeks and have a great day in the meantime. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I would love a review because that is how more people find out about us and ultimately get well. If you are a medical practitioner and you're interested in taking one of my courses to learn how to implement these research strategies, see naturopathicmentorship.com. If you're a patient, we have a couple of options. I can try to hook you up with one of my trained practitioners, or alternatively, if you have a practitioner you love, I do offer one-on-one consults about your case to support that practitioner in learning further. For more information on these strategies, see the show notes. And finally, if you just want to keep in touch, I am always active on Instagram and Facebook, and I look forward to connecting with you there. Have a great day and be well.